The opinions expressed on this podcast should be construed only as the opinions of the respective opiners, and some content may not be appropriate for little dragons. Discretion is advised. I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work. Determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Haya, the only podcast that's broadcast for the badass with a brain and hopefully a sense of humor. Episode 62, released in the first frosty flash of February 2015, starts now. <laughs> Okay, folks, <clears throat> back once again with Haya number 62. Okay, sorry this show's coming out a little bit late, but uh, I was uh, drafted back into work about a week and a half ago, and let me tell you, this old man, hmm, you get a couple of months off around the holidays and get in there and start working hard, long hours again, breaks you down, folks can break you down but i'm adapting i'm getting used to it going back to 60 hour shifts next week uh so whoo yeah down on my hands and knees plastering the floors all to make hollywood look good anyway enough about me i just wanted to let you know why this was a little late and uh the fronts and backs on this one are going to be brief because i don't want anything to hold up getting it out this weekend while i have the chance Um, so let me tell you what we've got going on today on the show. We have Ian Abernathy as our special guest. He's a martial artist, writer, teacher, and podcaster who works diligently to keep karate practical. I think that's a laudable goal and he was hella fun to talk to. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. We've had so many great guests on lately. I'm just, I hope I can keep this role going. Ah, after that, we have the ever present ubiquitous martial brain segment This one is entitled, The Student Shall Be the Teacher. And it's got some great tips on how to facilitate rather than stifle a person's ability to teach themselves. Good stuff. Thanks again, Jeff. And at the very end, I'll be back in the wraparound to take a long overdue but fairly shallow dip into the mailbag and uh, have a crack at answering a few of your questions and addressing some comments. So uh, we haven't had much in the way of correspondence the last couple of weeks. Uh, So uh, get out there and let us know what you think. All it takes is a little clickety-click on the keyboard. You hit your send button. It should be brightly colored and somewhere conveniently located. And boom, it'll show up over here. And uh, especially at this time, you know, we're open to, we've already had some great show ideas from you guys. And I'm working on putting some of those together. But new ones are always welcome. And if you want to kick us, uh, if you see a news story you find interesting, you know, anything, kick it over. It all helps make the show a little better and a little easier for me to put together. And with the kids and the job, the way my time is stretched thin right now, every bit counts. So, yeah, please feel free to help us out in that fashion if you so desire. All right. Well, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Let's get on with the show. Oh, 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 
and twist Settle down, no take a fit You drank a demon straight from hell They almost nearly won as well You wiped the floor with victory The puked until you fell asleep <laughs> Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ian Abernathy to the show. He holds a 7th Dan ranking in Okinawan Karate, and the British Combat Association has awarded him a 5th Dan ranking and the exalted title of Coach. He is also an author of such titles as Karate Grappling Methods and Throws for Strikers, The Forgotten Throws of Karate, Boxing, and Taekwondo, and a podcaster extraordinaire. In fact, his accomplishments are too extensive to chronicle in a single introduction, so I'll jump straight into the first question, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's a great introduction. Thank you. Oh, no problem. So I'm a sixth Dan, though. I'm not quite as highly ranked as you said. But, oh, okay. Uh, I'll take the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. You're seventh Dan to us. Trust me. Um, uh, so the the question is, origin story, please. Uh, how did you get to this place? What got you into the martial arts, you know, in the beginning? Uh, um, for me, well, the martial arts was something that always held a fascination. Uh, as a young kid, um, like most young kids, young boys, you know, you go through that stage of um, – Proving yourself and finding yourself. So, um, got interested in fighting generally, thought, you know, this is something I should probably be good at. Um, got a few books on the martial arts. I was always a bit of a quiet, reserved kid. So, the idea of going to a, a class didn't really appeal. So, I got some books um, from the local library. Uh, every single book that I saw was basically saying, you can't learn it from a book. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, so I, um, and then around that time, uh, Enter the Dragon aired on TV and the entire school went kind of martial arts crazy. You know, The entire so, world, yeah. Yeah, well, well, it was, yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was a time, it had obviously, the film had been out a little while, but as soon as it went on the, the like the TV, right. I remember kids were making themselves nunchakus and stuff and everyone was trying to spin them around. So um, there was a couple of my friends went to a, uh, uh, karate class um, and my parents were keen on the idea that you know finally he's going to do some kind of activity right so they were uh, so they took me through and uh, um, first lesson I absolutely hated it got dropped on my very first class the friends that I went with they quit the very next week <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I came back for the second week and they thought you know I'd kind of enjoy this so been training ever since you know that's kind of how I got into it yeah, well, I, I definitely I remember that period myself and mothers everywhere were wondering what happened to their broom handles. Uh, <laughs> but but you bring out something really important there just in, in that little bit. Uh, martial arts in the modern era have often been sort of a form of self-initiation into adulthood for kids. I mean, have you found that to be true in your case? Yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that, you know, in... in in Western culture, we don't have that kind of recognized path from like boyhood to adulthood, you know, but I still think there's a psychological need for that, you see. And although I wouldn't look back and think, you know, at the time I didn't realize that, but looking back, I think that was exactly it. You know, I was about 12 years old. I'm at that age where you, you know, you're not a boy, but you're not quite a man either, you know right. what I mean? So, and that idea to kind of 
prove yourself and prove your worth and test yourself. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I think that's that's certainly looking back. That that's what it definitely gave me, and it did fulfil that function. Well, it would certainly be easier if we just had an elder to come push us off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. That's what I'd like. You know, that's that's it. It would be um, <laughs> less painful. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, let me. Uh, one of the things you're famous for is is trying to sort of unite uh, practicality and traditional martial arts once again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, you know, your teaching focuses heavily on. Um, on 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 that sort of thing you know making uh traditional arts practical in a modern setting um and you know many traditional teachers grapple pun intended uh, with this very subject i mean what's your approach and what's what's the the system you've developed to to make that a reality where, where i was lucky was um my my main instructor is a, a gentleman called um uh, doug james is an eighth dan in wadaroo karate and he's he um is a very open-minded instructor so there's things where um you know the traditional basics had to be run right the cut had to be done right but he was also a great believer in encouraging you to you know play with it go and train with other people experiment with it you know he, he was a really open-minded minded guy so my interest when i got into martial arts uh, i did the sport thing because you know that's what you did and everyone did it but i didn't i wasn't interested in playing the sport i got into it because it was that side of things that interest me so um through Doug, again, I, I got uh, in touch with uh, Jeff Thompson, um, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think most people will know Jeff. And Jeff, you know, became a kind of big influence on the way that I, I thought and do things. But the more I looked into it, and then I, I, through Jeff, I met Peter Considine and uh, still train with uh, Peter. And Peter and Jeff are good friends. And I would regard those three men as the most influential on me. But I started to notice that, that my traditional background you know is my true traditional background right. and the modern reality-based self-defense stuff that i was learning for the likes of jeff and peter there was no difference between the two you know if you read what the old masters said about certain things and then um that was what was happening when i when i read about um uh you, when you look at the cutter and the kind of motions in there, it reflects well, you know, the kind of the, the type of methods you'd use in civilian conflict, you know, in a self-defense scenario. Right. So I, I just started to see um, the parallels between the two. So I, I never had that kind of juggling act of, well, how do I get these two to fit together? To me, they always kind of did. You know, the, the, more I, the more I looked at it, the more that you could see the, the, the commonalities there. And... Um, so I, I have an approach to what I believe is traditional in the true sense, and I also believe that it's it's totally relevant to the modern world. You know, I mean, Okinawa is a little island yeah. where they're not allowed to carry weapons. I live on a little island where I'm not allowed to carry weapons. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's not it's not that different. You know, so they, they, what they were doing to protect themselves and what I need to do to protect myself is is, is pretty much um, akin. You know. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think that openness you're talking about is the key. You know, like uh, I, I, I've done several traditional martial arts, and often I'll find when I'm cross training with someone else, it's it's only then that I realize, oh, this arm drag was hidden in a basic technique the entire time, or you know, yeah, I'm stepping on your foot all the time, and that's baked into the form. But somehow it seems a lot of people lose sight of that, and maybe it's they don't have the the methodology to integrate it into practice or to, or to do the form archaeology, if that makes sense to yes, figure yeah. it out. I think that's true because you can only. Well, I think part of the problem you have, and I think this is why uh, bunk guy is generally so badly taught nowadays, is what you've got is 
you, you'll only see it in the form if you're able to recognize it. So the classic example is most modern karateka, as opposed to the traditional counterparts or all the counterparts, think of it as it's nothing but kicking, punching, and blocking. Right. So they'll, they'll look at it. Yeah, that, 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 that's it, yeah. So the, then they'll look at it and go, okay, so, well, that's a point. So, for example, a classic example is there'll be a gidambara in front of you, a lower block in front of you, and an outer block behind you. And, and they'll go, it's two simultaneous blocks. Because they'll look at it and they go, well, it's not a strike, it's not a punch, it's not a kick, it must be two blocks. Yet if you've got any knowledge of kind of grappling and throwing, you'll look at it and go, no, that's a setup for a throw. That is very clearly a setup for a throw. So Yeah, yeah the, for, our Chinese, for our Chinese uh, martial arts listeners, that's a similar motion to uh, part the horse's mane in Taiji. Well, I did not know that, but there's... <laughs> what does it say? One arm going down, one arm going out. One, one arm going up, that's, yeah. it, that's it. So if you yeah. show that to a judo guy and go, like, what do you think I'm doing now? They'd say, well, that looks to me like a formalized setup for a one-arm shoulder throw. But the karate guys don't see that because that's not part of it. So I think um, cross-training... I mean, I've, I've trained in lots of different systems, but t to me, I've never been a practitioner of those systems. All I've gone to them for is to... Um, inform my karate you see and you're dead right you know i start saying yep see that here see that here see that here i mean there's and a friend of mine a guy in the uk called gavin mulholland brilliant martial artist go Jeru guy read some superb books mm -hmm. and he said um which i thought was a really kind of great observation he said that uh, no matter what style of martial art we do he says we all end up doing the same thing he says what the style predominantly is is how we train it so i think that's true when i've gone to you know, judo and boxing and whatever else, you know, you, you you start to see, yep, see all that, same stuff, same stuff, just packaged in a different way. Yeah, so, well, let's dig a little deeper into that then. What makes this style a style? You know, is it a specific uh, general way of moving the body? Is it a focus on a certain range of techniques? Is it, you know, how do you, uh, uh, how big should a style be? Yeah, see, I, 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 that, that's one I definitely I, uh, struggle with. You know, I mean, and, and if, if you, like, I, I have no idea of what style of karate I do. I have not got a clue. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I started in Wado, you know, and, and that was kind of the, the beam, but uh, I, other influences come in and bits get dropped and you do things slightly differently. And I know what we do and I would call it karate. It's definitely karate. But as to what style it is, I have no idea. And I've never yet found anyone who can give me a good definition of what karate is. Yeah. You know, every time they go, it's this, you think, well, there's this exception here or that's not quite right. And I always think it's kind of like, it's a bit like a chair. You know, we know a chair when we see it, but a chair can have a back. It may not have a back. It can have one leg. It can have three legs. It can have four legs. It may swivel. It can have rollers. It may, it may not. You know I mean? We, there's something that's chairness about chairs, but you know what I mean? Every single one of them can be a little bit different and it gets really difficult to um, define what a, a, a style is. And I think these things are a lot more fluid than people sometimes like, to, like them to like them to be, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, just like with my own teachers, people I've trained with for, you know, more than five or 10 years, you can see them evolve, you know, the, the system they're teaching you evolves as they're teaching it. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always style creep. There's, or there should be, there's always learning. So I think some people get way too hung up on, well, you know, this style is the style. You know? <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree with that completely. And, and it's, um, 
the, the, the term I use for that, you see, is I always it's uh, I call it artificial success criteria. So ah. we, we, we've always got to measure what we do and have some kind of measurement where we say we're improving, we're not we're, we're regressing or standing still or whatever. And with martial arts, you know, the obvious one is, you know, does it work? But if you remove that, what we start to get is now it now now people say, well, is it pure? You know, is it like Master X did it, or is it like your teacher taught it ten years ago? And yeah. it, it, that's not healthy for the martial arts, and it's certainly not how it worked traditionally. You know, things changed. I mean, otherwise, if, if things never changed, we wouldn't have any styles. You know what I mean? So the very fact we do tells you that the people of the past were happy to change things, amend things. And I'm not talking about a, a free for all, but I'm talking about experienced people having an input. So you know, the martial arts can continue to evolve, but we, we, yeah. we don't see that always. People kind of measure by, well, is it pure? And I always like Ed Parker's thing when he said, you know, when people ask him, you know, what's a pure martial art? And he said, uh, when pure fist meets pure face, <laughs> it's a pure martial art. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's, that's it. That cuts to the heart of it, you know? Well put, yes, uh, absolutely. Well, I, you know, like uh, I teach a traditional martial art and, it amazes me that sometimes people are shocked when I show up at a, for a public sparring group kind of thing or something, and I get in there and I scrum with them. They're like, oh, most teachers wouldn't do that. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's it's not about my reputation. It's, it's about seeing if it works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's, you know, and, and that, that's the point, you know, we need um in our own practice and training we need a way to test these things we need live practice to be part of it and when you remove live practice or restrict it by you know a heavy set of rules then 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 what you end up with is something that tends to be uh one-dimensional and that's another advantage of the cross training you see you can you can uh, if you train within a group you always train the same way you don't realize where your holes and your failings are until you go to another group you know it's good not to be insular yeah absolutely well, that uh, um, that takes me to another little point that you sort of touched on there. Um, I've 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 heard your podcast before where you've railed a little bit against practices like one step sparring and so forth. I mean, uh, so what what do you think the correct approach is to safely test things and to learn techniques? Yeah, yeah. Well, that that, that that's it. So I, I see. I mean, if I want to be blunt about it, and I will be, that um, the one-step spar and the three-step, it's a modern aberration. You know, it's not a form of practice that has a traditional um, long heritage. And, and it, it tends to be – it means different things to one pe people, though. So when I say one-step spar, and I mean a guy dropping into a formal stance from 10 feet away, right. stepping forwards and doing a formal technique, remaining still while the other guy jumps through a variety of complex defenses and they break away, you know, so – <laughs> and to me, I, I, I've, and I, and I always say, when I give my views, they're just my views, and other people may see this differently, and that's it's good and it's healthy. But to me, I've never seen uh, anyone be able to demonstrate to me what the objective of such drills is. Where does it take it? It doesn't give you any transferable skill. The only thing that doing one steps, in my experience, made me better at was doing one steps. Now, <laughs> now people make the argument, you know, yeah, but it teaches you distancing and timing and it's a safe way to practice. But but you can do, but it teaches you the wrong distancing. It teaches you the wrong timing. And it, yeah, yeah, it is safe. Nobody gets hurt. But if you use those techniques in a real situation, you get badly hurt. So I think there's, there's better ways to do it. And the way um, that we uh, tend to approach it, we... Um, if we take it back to Kata, you'll learn the form, you'll learn the movement, 
Mm-hmm. As you learn the movement, you'll learn a two-person drill to go with it. So, and that will be close range. It'll be a close range. It'll be compliant, but it'll be a close range drill that mimics the range, feel, and nature of actual conflict. But it's compliant. Once they've got the skill, the next thing we need to do is say, okay, you've got the motion down. We now need to add some aliveness into that. And we do that with what we call uh, semi-live drills, which is where people are limited to a certain set of actions to develop a specific skill or a specific objective. And then we have live drills, which are, again, a bit more free-flowing and open. And we've got lots and lots of these live drills. Um, each designed to develop certain skills, like you know, breaking away skills, multiple opponent skills, gripping skills, um, and you know, we allow we allow headbutting, biting, elbowing, knee, and all this kind of stuff in our training, and nobody ever gets hurt because we safely structure it so that the the sparring develops as a student develops, so they're in control, they know what they're doing, they know how to look after the partner, um, and then we can spar in these very lively, very realistic ways, and nobody ever gets hurt you know it's all about restructuring it i i I think i'm on the same page with you there i mean again the big difference is not dropping into that stance and sticking your arm out while you're too far away to actually punch somebody uh, you know (laughs) and having uh, people in relaxed natural stances close and then they drill and they escalate the drill up to the point like we we actually had the police called on us one morning a, a, a training partner and i were just running through what we call application practice uh, out out in a parking lot, and we were going at it so hard, you know, you could hear our limbs smacking a half a mile away, and uh, <laughs> some old lady was going to her car and thought there was a fight in the parking lot and called yeah. the police, you know, and well, we're that, like, no, no, we're fine, we're fine. Yeah, that, that's um, that's a fine endorsement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, no, that's what, I mean, I do that again. It's what, like when I teach in seminars, it's the same old joke. When I get them doing drills, I'll say, I'll say that was brilliant. It looked terrible. You know what I mean? And that, that's I want that chaos, and I want that um and uh, you can you can structure this stuff so everyone can practice it quite safely and it's doing it step by step you know so you, you don't throw people right in at the deep end you develop the skills gradually and slowly and gently and then you know ev- everyone can do it and everyone will reach their own level within that you know so i was like what uh, dan anderson said i was when dan anderson visited the uk stayed at my home for a couple of weeks and I was showing him the local castle and we're walking away and we're talking about sparring and live drills. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said, most people teach sparring in the same way the Romans taught the Christians to deal with lions. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yep, that's right. I can relate to that, you know. So it's that throw them in the deep end and we'll see how they do. And, yeah, get um, in there, kid. Yeah, well, and, you know, and generally what most people learn is that they don't like sparring. But if you structure it correctly, so it's just so outside the comfort zone, and as they get you, okay, you're happy with that now? Okay, let's add in this element. And, you know, let's play with that for a few weeks. Are you happy with that now? Now let's add in this element. And then before you know where they are, you know, they're fighting in a very realistic, confident, practical way, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So uh, you travel all over the world and <clears throat> teach this sort of thing to people. Uh, and I'm, I'm presuming that you present this to people of varying styles, varying backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you how do you integrate this material into a new dojo or a new guun when you walk into it? How do you present it to them so you don't get the sort of that's not my style friction and, and yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a, a, a well. There's two things. One one is whenever when I when I go to the um, the seminars, I always, especially if it's a new group, you know, it's the first time I've ever worked with them. 
I always tell them at the start that this is my approach. I'm not saying it's the only approach. I'm not saying it's the best approach. It's just mine. And I encourage them to look at it with like a, um, a critical mind. I always quote, I think it was, um, I forgot the name of the general now. But anyway, the, the quote was, if everybody's thinking the same, somebody isn't thinking. So I tell them, you know, there'll be bits of this you like, there'll be bits of it you won't like, there'll be bits of it that you may like, but won't fit with the way that you train. So you take away the bits that suit you. You know, so um, um, again, um, Chris Wilde had a nice phrase for that. He said, you know, you don't put Ford parts on a Peugeot car. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, sometimes, you know, they're both equally valid on their own. They just don't fit together, you know. So um, so that's the first thing. So I think people are then um, reassured that I'm not coming in there with a heavy hand to say what you're doing's wrong and what I'm doing's right. You know, I genuinely believe there's lots of ways to be right. You know what I mean? And I believe I'm right, but I believe people can be right in different ways too. So that's that's the first thing. And then the second one is um, when it comes to the karate styles, uh, I'm a great believer that we're all doing the same stuff. It, it's just packaged in different ways, you see. And I give the example, I would say, if I was to write a bit of poetry down on a um, brown piece of paper with a green felt tip and someone else was to print the same bit of poetry out on a, laser jet on a beautiful clean white piece of paper uh, from a difference you'd look at them and say they're different but when from a distance it's, you'd say they were different but when you get up close it's the same stuff right. so what i tend to do on the, the seminars is i tend to go okay let's forget the superficial external things let's talk about principles and concepts and different styles might emphasize different concepts to different degrees but we're essentially all end up doing the same thing and I'm, i've never yet um there's been never yet gone to a karate group where they've gone that doesn't fit you know no matter what style you've got this kind of stuff fits and it doesn't take anything away from your style and i get plenty of guys from kung fu taekwondo tang Soo do krav maga systems turned up as well and even if they don't do the form the, the the combative principles are common so it's just pointing out to those um common principles to people and then they go oh, yeah you know i see that and we do that too and I think that's one of the most exciting discussions we often have at the seminars is, yeah, 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 you know, I do that, but a bit differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating to see the same thing from slightly different angles, you know, so. Well, do you find, you know, that there's any danger of, of, of a student taking sort of a grab bag approach when presented with material like this as opposed to developing a foundation? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean. I, absolutely. I, I think that's one one of the dangers of, of you know, the modern, as positive as the modern information age is, people can do that so they can get a bag of tricks, but those tricks are never united by any kind of common underlying principles, you know. So, right. What you know, so that, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of wrestling and I've done a little bit of punching and a little bit of tie, so and then it doesn't fit together. They've just got three separate systems that are all mashed. Um, so, but what I try and do, um, because it's the way I like to learn myself, is I, I try and point out to people it's. The techniques are okay. What's more important than the techniques is the underlying principles that give rise to the techniques. So when a, a teacher tends to try and emphasize the principles, and hopefully once you've got the principles, then you'll the techniques naturally flow from that, and it's that unifying or that understanding of those unifying principles that'll avoid that kind of you know bit of this, bit of that approach. It's the principles that hold it all together. Um, but I, I, and also, I'm a great believer in you need you know. In this, you still need that core system that you've studied to a, a good depth, and I think because that's how you'll get a good handle on the principles, rather than three months of this, three months of that, three months of the other. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that also, you know, having your your core, your base system, 
Also provides you with one of the biggest self-defense aspects of martial arts, which is you have a routine to keep your body healthy, you know, uh, if, if that makes sense. Uh, you, you have a, a set of practices that you do routinely, whereas if you're just chasing techniques, you may not develop the actual physicality mm -hmm. necessary to do them. Yeah, no, I think that's that, that's that's very true. Because I mean, that's what you know. Your body's got to be physically capable of doing the techniques. And see, self-defense wise, you know, there's, there's two sides that jump off that. Is one is this Jeff Thompson's line where he says, when people talk about self-defense, the first thing you need to defend against is the self. Yeah, you know, we, we do ourselves more harm. You know, more of us, more people listen to this that that will die through bad diet, smoking, drinking inactivity, um, or more people generally, maybe not martial arts listen to this, than ever will through being attacked. Right. So having that core system will, will help with that. The other thing it gives you, it gives you that routine and that positive lifestyle. And again, that in itself can be useful in keeping people away from activities that can be dangerous and can give rise to violence, you know. So yeah, yeah martial arts helps in a lot more way than just enabling you punch faster and harder you know? right and usually there, there's a group of people to train with that goes along with that that'll shame you if they can tell you haven't practiced all week <laughs> <laughs> well that's, see that that's that's exactly right because it's one of the things that you if you haven't been if you've got a good group and you haven't been training the way you should or you maybe you've been ill or something or you've just backed off that little bit it's always good to go back to a group of people and think oh, i need to up my game again you know i'm getting hit and i'm getting tired so yeah absolutely that, yeah. that social support is again another big positive i think you get from martial practice yeah, yeah. well I, I i know you also focus a lot on the kata and on what you can extract from solo training so uh you know Talk to me a little bit about how you get into a kata and how you pick out the useful stuff and how you know how you how you do discovery there. Yeah, so from, from the, you mean the, the process by which I I would so a kata's new to me and I'm researching what's in it. Is that what you're meaning? So yeah, that sort of thing, or just simply let's say you're traveling or you're doing something or you you can't train with a group. Also, that aspect of it. Yeah, well, I'd say that's one of the, the positives about solo kata. Um, it gives you that method of practicing on your own. It does give you that chance to practice that physicality. One under unimportant, well, sorry, uh, one undervalued but important part of kata practice is it gives you the opportunity to do the technique with full intent. Right now, granted, you're not doing it against a person, but if I do this, to, I mean, I, again, at the seminars, I always say, look, you know, like I did a weekend seminar in the US last weekend, and at the end of it, I said to everybody, you know, look, we spent three days practicing this and if you think about it we've done every technique wrong because nobody got hurt we've been practicing hurting people all weekend and not a single person got hurt so by definition every technique's been wrong you know and and that's how it should be because we want to look after our partners but the good thing is when you go back to kata you can mentally take the safety off right so it kind of completes that circle so with a partner i get the right feel then when i do the kata i get the right emotional feel and the right kind of intent so and then in terms of like my own um analysis of it is i've just got a, a, a set of rules and a, a process that i follow so to give some examples you know I, I think that the stance always represents the way that you shift your body weight for the technique so when i I'll look at the stance and say what way is my body weight going here right. the angle that the cutter tells you the angle you're assuming in relation to the enemy not the angle the enemy's attacking from so if a movement's at 45 degrees then I'm, at, then I'm at 45 degrees from the enemy so what could be going on here right uh, if it's the not if you if you're striking if you convince you're striking well the non-striking hand will always be active it'll normally be telling you where the enemy is so 
holding him, gripping him, feeling or somewhere, or it'll be getting limbs out of the way. So I've got a clear path to the target. So which one of these is it doing? Right. You know, and it's, it's again, that, that kind of process. And then I go, okay, so that I think this motion's doing this. Now, how does that fit with the movement before it and the movement after it? Let's look at it in its context. And I just kind of keep working away at it and you get those like eureka moments, you know, like, ah, you know, I'm absolutely convinced this is what this is now, you see. So, <laughs> and I you know, I'll be honest, there's part of me that really enjoys solving that puzzle. And, 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 and the reason that I've stuck with Kata, because example, you know, I spent 25 years doing one step sparring, but I dropped it because I thought it's not useful. Right. Uh, I haven't done Kata. Um, I'm more convinced of its usefulness now than I've ever been. So, you know, I researched it, found things in it and thought this is, clever stuff this is good stuff so uh, i don't believe it's something i'm i'm not capable of superimposing that onto it you know it's 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 having the key to kind of unlock it and withdraw it i find the kata has a lot to teach me anyway and i would say martial artists in general there's a lot of good stuff in there yeah and uh, you know a lot of people over a long period of time have put a lot of hard work into those things and it, it really does amaze me with uh, the so-called traditional arts how you can have, you can have been doing the same form for twenty years and suddenly out of the blue <laughs> discover a new aspect. You know? <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. That's one of my most precious martial moments. Yeah. I always feel it's almost like the cutter rewards you. It's almost like it says, you know, good boy, and you've been di- diligent on this. You know, so yeah. <laughs> like, pats you on the head and gives you a throw you, in what you thought was a kick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that's because you know we are when when we do forms where we're moving the way the old masters moved, you know, and if we start thinking the way they thought, we've got a, a great kind of connection there to the, the past. It's like, you know, if, if I, if I listen to a song, you know, that someone's written and it's a, it's a really moving song. So let's say this guy's written this song while he's been really sad, death of a loved one, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And if I listen to that song, if it's a good song, I go, you know, I feel what you felt. You've recorded that emotion and thought so well that even though I've never met the writer of that song, I can feel what you felt. Right. And I think that's part of the thing with, with, with Kata when we start moving the way the masters moved and we start thinking the way they think. I think there's a very real connection there. You know, so I don't mean a, like from beyond the grave, superstitious, supernatural connection. I just mean we're studying their works in the way that they intended. So it's a, it's a chance to learn directly from the past, you know, and it's not something we shouldn't squander, I think. Yeah, and, um, you know, so we've talked a lot about the traditional. While we're on this tack here, uh, wh- how do you feel about modern sporting martial arts? Because they tend to not have things like kata, you know, and forms and stuff. Although, if you break it down small enough, they kind of do, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, what? Do you, how do you feel about the influence of the modern sporting arts on martial arts in general? So, I, I, I mean, I think it's a mixed thing. I think if, if you look at the... Um, the sport in and of itself, I, I, I think that that's been a positive thing. Yeah. So if you look at if you look at the sport, in, look at the sport as a sport, because again, it gives us you know for the, the the younger ones, it gives them that kind of outlet, that chance to test themselves, as we we talked about. It gives people's goals for training. It encourages innovation. Um, it gives us new training methods. It's a really positive thing. I think the only time it can get negative is when people mistake. Um, sport for self-defense for martial art because all three are different um, and I think we, we tend to do that a lot you know that it, it, sports are valid in and of themselves and 
the martial arts side of it is valid in and of itself and the self-defense side of it is valid in and of itself. So if some, like when I was doing the judo and people are teaching me ways to turn a guy from his belly onto his back and hold him down, that's something I'd never use in self-defense. I'd never use it. In, why would I want to do that? Why would I, if a guy's face down, I'm happy for him to remain face down. Why would I want to turn him onto his back? Right. But, 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 but I'm happy to learn that for the, um, the sport of it. You know, because mm-hmm. it's just it's just fun and it's enjoyable. Yeah. <coughs> so without those, um, the sporting side, we wouldn't have that f- fun opportunities there. The thing, the thing is, you just got to keep everything in its own box. That's that's the key thing. Well, uh, uh, d- yeah. Explain the distinction you're making between, uh, say, martial arts and self defense. Yeah. So I would say, uh, the, the, I mean, again, everyone's got their own definitions so i'm not saying oh these sure are, sure there's yeah, a disclaimer these, these are, at the beginning of this show you can say whatever you want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so these are the way i divide it up so I, I go um so um sport is sport you know so you've got you, that, that's easy we'll put that on one side the fighting side that's when you you and another individual agree to fight to a given rule set yes so that's consensual fighting um uh self-defense is keeping yourself safe from violent criminal activity so and that can include things that have nothing to do with martial arts. The fact that I've got good locks on my house is part of self-defense. Yeah. You know, it, it's got absolutely nothing to do with, you know, what I've learned in the dojo. So there's all that kind of stuff too. And then the martial art to me is the bits where I do this for my health, for historical interest, because it makes me feel good because it reduces stress because it's of interest to me, you know? So it, it, it's, it's the, the, Often undervalued side of it, you know, but but I still think, uh, I mean, the, the classic example for me is that I once had the opportunity to learn a few techniques with a Scottish broadsword. Huh? Now, I'm, I'm never going to fight anybody with a Scottish broadsword. I'm never going to have to defend myself. Never, in a fight ne- never say board. never, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I live a bit close to the Scottish border, so you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, the, 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 um, so, but it's, it's highly unlikely, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd be better spending training time somewhere else, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's interesting and it's enjoyable. So I'm never going to fight a battle. Um, like I've, I'm reading a book at the moment on uh, Viking combat techniques. I'm never going to go into battle with a with an axe and a sword. Yeah, so with a shield and an axe. But uh, it's still of interest to me. So that to me would be that's the martial art side of it. You know, it's a, it doesn't really have a functional use, right? Either in sport or in self defense in the modern world. But I'm still I'm still interested in it. I still think it's 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 part of what and. It- it broadens your experience too, so that, for instance, if the only thing you had to hand was a you know an electric guitar or something, you could pick it up and sort of use some of those broadsword oh, no, style swings. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The, 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 there is the, there is some crossover, but one of the things that I sometimes see is, is um, see the classic example is it, 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 if you look at sports and self defense because this this comes up a bit more where people might go, um, you know, so I, I'm I, I'm doing. What we should be able to do, I think, is go, yes, there is that crossover. We acknowledge that crossover exists, but we don't need to do these things just for the crossover. So you might get right. someone who says, you know, well, I, I compete in this certain rule set, and you'll get people who go, oh, but it's not realistic because. And the answer to that is, well, so what? <laughs> you know, if I, was, if I went to play tennis, in, 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 and, you know, at no point would I ever turn to my tennis coach and go, well, I wouldn't use that in the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just go, yeah, but this, this is fun, and I'm enjoying the – the game and the play of it, you know. So, yeah. And the, so, but you're right. And there is there is some definite um, overlap between them all, but they've all got their own inherent values as well, even in the places where they don't overlap, you know. 
Yeah, and I think a, a sort of a healthy balance or rotation through all of those is probably one of the best paths a person can take if they want to do martial arts, you know? No, no, I, I, absolutely. And I've got value from from all the aspects of that. And that's that's why I don't think, um, particularly I see this in the reality-based community quite a bit, where what they'll do is they just judge everything by, well, would it work in the street? And you see the MMA guys do a similar thing, well, would it work in the cage? Well, it, you know, it may or it may not, but that's not the inherent value. Some things can be, well, it may not work in this context, but it would work in this context. And, and then you've also got the thing of, you know, it's just interesting. I just want to do it because I want to do it. And to me, I, I've found value in all three parts of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll say the bare minimum a martial arts should do is enable you to deal with physical violence. That's that's the minimum. You know, yeah. it, it preserves life and it should also have other things that it gives you as well. I, I, and I always... I use the joke that, you know, you don't want to be sitting on your deathbed thinking, well, those 60 years in martial arts were a waste of time because no one tried to kill me. You know what I mean? You've, <laughs> yeah, you've got to have exactly. another reason why you want to practice it, you know. Um, so that even if, you know, you never, ever, you know, never had to defend yourself, and we all hope that that's the case for, for everyone listening, you never had to defend yourself. You've still got to get some value out of the martial arts, and that's what the other things give you, you know. Yeah, and aside from just the joy of doing it, you know, even if you're never attacked, you're still helping keep mind and body together by doing it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's fun. I mean, that's the other thing that we... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, martial artists sometimes, I always think that's... They're almost reluctant to admit it, you know. So you know, it's like they need a more profound reason why they do it. So or I'll make it, it too grim, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, that, it's either it's all about you know dealing with gritty violence, or um, it's some ethereal noble purpose about you know bettering yourself and all that stuff's in there. But I mean, one good reason to do anything is you know what? I just I enjoy it. it, it it's a fun way to spend time with good people in an enjoyable and productive environment, and you know we need to acknowledge that that's a totally valid side of what we do and yeah and it's probably a large part of the reason that martial arts are still as popular as they are in the modern world you know yeah that's that's it because you know they are and see this is one of the things that's why um, although there's been a bit of a resurgence in uh, European martial arts you know it's still I think that's one of the reasons why the the martial arts of the east have survived a lot better is because they knew that you know that there are other benefits to it beside conflict and where typically in england it went well we've got muskets now yeah <laughs> drop the sword i've got something exactly. that throws yeah, a bullet it. yeah exactly you know so but um yeah there are other benefits to it too absolutely well um let me let me swerve us just a little bit here i know we don't have a ton of time left but uh I wanted to ask you about your podcasting, too. I mean, like, over here, we're based around interviews and conversation, and uh, your podcast is mostly you just kind of jumping in and tackling an idea on your own. Do you script that thing? How do you how do you pull off, you know, 20 minutes of exposition on a topic uh, by yourself in a podcast? They're, um, they're a mix, and I, I would suggest that listeners will be able to tell which is which. <laughs> so, so, so I've done one or two um, talking back and forth ones, but you're right, I tend... Um, not to do that. What the way it tends to work is me kind of giving a monologue on a an idea or a thought. So some of them I just kind of write, okay, I'm going to talk on this, you know, and and then I just hit record and away I go, you know. So it's it's all very free form and just right off the top of my head. Um, and it, some t- other times though, uh, if I've got something, I think right, I really want to nail this issue and I want to cover all the angles on it and I want to make sure that I don't miss anything. Then I'll I'll write it out you know so i kind of sit down with the 
um, the laptop or a pen and paper and I'll write the thing out, you see, and then when I come to record it, I'll read it uh, read it out and record it that way, you see. I end up ad-libbing, because I always do, but um, sure. I've, I've got the kind of general script that I, that I worked in, so hopefully at the end of it, people think, well, agree or disagree, there was a coherent argument there, you know, so yeah, that, that's what I, I always try to, to put out, you know. For you listeners out there, you need to thank this guy, because that is a lot of hard work, I can tell you from experience. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, no, well, that's it. The, the do uh, the thing is, though, without I mean, I put videos online and articles, but my podcasts are one of my favorite things to do. I always feel probably because they do take a little bit of work, but I always feel really satisfied with them when they go up, you know. And I think, yeah, I've edited that together okay, and the information's solid enough. And as you'll know, once they're up there, people are they don't date, so people are listening to them all yeah. the time. So I just um. And, the, you know, I always feel sometimes it's a bit of a one-way conversation, but that's why it's always nice to meet up with people at seminars and things, and they'll they'll tell you what you thought of them and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's 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 good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I strongly suggest listeners that haven't checked it out get out there and, and dig into your uh, backlog of podcasts there because, uh, and I don't mean this pejoratively at all, uh, some of it is, sort of stems over not just, you know, directly martial arts, but kind of self-help stuff, motivational stuff, you yeah, know, yeah, or, yeah. or dealing with psychological issues like how, you know, what happens after the violence, that sort of thing. It's all very valuable stuff. Yeah, so thanks. Well, that's the, you know, we've talked about the different elements of martial arts and in um, its wider sense so there's some that i'm like i've got just thinking off the top of my head i've got one on verbal de-escalation well that's pure self-defense i've i've done some on kata history of kata well you don't need to know the history of it to use it but that kind of you know that would be the martial arts side of it and right we've got other ones where we discuss like you say self-help issues mental side of it so i try to get as as broad a base as i can because you what you find is certain topics appeal to certain people so it's trying to Give everybody something, you know. Yeah. Well, good job. <laughs> um, Thank you. Let's see. Uh, I don't want to keep you on this interview all day, and my power could go out soon anyway <laughs> again. But uh, I, I, one last question I'd like to throw out at you just for fun. Uh, we love what we call feet of, feet of clay stories over here at the podcast. And, uh, you know, do you have any colorful stories you could tell us about one of those times when you were doing everything right and you wound up with your pants around your ankles or, you know, <laughs> something didn't quite go as planned? Oh, man, it's how to think of. I mean, that, that's pretty much a daily occurrence. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of one, uh, one specific one where I could think of. I, I just. Um... I know I surprised you with it, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. But that, that, that's it. That's one again. Just going back to the general point. That's one of the things I love about the martial arts. So that a constant reminder that I'm about half as cool as I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it, it just happens on a, um, a uh, you know a regular basis where you're going to try something, and it just you know you go to the class and you think I've got this move down. It's a move you've done for years and years and years. You try it, and it just goes completely wrong. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. But I, at the moment, I can't think of one specific example where I've made um, uh, <laughs> a massive mess up, but it's probably because they are so frequent. Yeah, yeah. They just all kind of run together after a while. I know that feeling. <laughs> 
you go to grab the guy, and he's sweatier than you thought, and you yank really hard and wind up sitting on the floor. You know. Oh, Jim, <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, well, sometimes as well, you know, I've had it work the other way as well, and the really lucky days when I've, I've, I've gone to try technique A, I've completely messed it up, but somehow something happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? And see, I, 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 one example I can give on this one, then you've just reminded me of one. Is that I remember going to um, this is maybe three or four years ago. I went to a uh, judo competition. Yeah. Um, you know, just to go and compete and have a day out, you see. So, uh, um, went out for one of the first fights and, I, um, I, eventually, you know, we went to the ground. I got this guy pinned. I cinched the pin on. As soon as I squeezed it in, I thought, this is a good old. He's not getting out. And he even said, I'm not getting out of this. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, right, great. You know, he, he, so anyway, hold him down for the required amount of time. That was the end of it. I walk off to my coach, my judo coach, and I went and I goes, so what throw did I get him with there? You know, and he goes, you didn't. He threw you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the heat of it, you know what I mean? I knew we'd got to the floor and I'd somehow managed to scramble my way on the top. But, I, you know, I thought, you know, I, I'm sure I took him down there, but it turns out, no, I didn't. He he took me down, but I just, you know, instinct took over and I managed to scramble on the top. So, yeah. That, yeah, so that was, the, yeah, a win from... Uh, Awesome. From an error, yeah. That's exactly the kind of story I'm talking about. You don't have to be the the butt of the joke every yeah, time. Yeah, anyway. no, yeah, Sam, loads of those. And it also, you know, it, it calls back to what we were talking about a minute ago, where sometimes the technique or the form or something, you know, you get a little surprise. It's like uh, you ride failure all the way to success, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, that's, you know, that's a good thing about martial arts is it, it – it, it conditions you that. And I like the way you've put it. That's a good way to say it. Ride failure all the way to success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Ian, go ahead and tell everyone uh, where they can find out more about you, where they can find your podcast, and what you've got coming up, uh, what projects you have in the works. Yeah, so the the, um, the website is um, probably the best place to go. All the podcasts are on there. The videos are there. So that's um, Ian, spelt the Scottish way because of my fiercely nationalistic Scottish <laughs> grandmother. So that's I-A-I-N. Okay. Yeah, and then, uh, Abernethy, A-B-E-R-N-E-T-H-Y dot com. And I've got the Practical Katabunkai YouTube channel. There's a, about 80, 90 videos called from various seminars. If people want to get a general look at what I do and how I do it, that would be a good place to start. If, if they want more detailed information, we do have videos and downloads for, uh, for sale on the site as well. But they're... Um, the podcasts and the YouTube videos will give them a good introduction. And if you're techno savvy and you use iTunes, then you can, if you just search Ian Abernethy, you'll find my podcasts on there. If you're not so techno savvy, if you go to the website, you can find them there and just click the button and you can, can listen to them play. So, and in terms of like what I've got coming up, I've got, um, pleased to say that I'm fully booked for, uh, the seminars for, well, all of this year and a good portion of next year. So, nice. uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a great position to be in. So like my, one of my dad, dad always used to say, it's better to have the problems of success than the problems of failure. We you know either way you're going to have problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard work either way, but yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> so my, my problem at the moment is I can't, uh, I can't fit anybody in, but uh, if people are, are interested, there's seminar listings on there. So whichever part you, the world people are in, there's a good chance I'll be within traveling distance at some point over the next 12 to 18 months. So if people want to have a look, it would be, you know, good to meet up in person and they can contact me by email as well. If anyone, Ian at IanAbernethy.com, if anyone's got any specific questions on, on any aspect of 
anything we've talked about, you know. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm disappointed this happened right after you made a trip to the Southeast United States. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah, literally last weekend. Yeah. I know, but <laughs> next time you're here, uh, I'd, I'd love to get together with you in person. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, well, I really enjoyed that and this talk already of um, organizing something there next year. So, yeah, it'd be great to meet in person. That'd be lovely. Sweet. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, you're a ton of fun, and I hope everybody gets out there and checks out your stuff. Thanks so much for coming on, Ian. Uh, my, no, my pleasure. I, I love talking martial arts. I've enjoyed our conversation, so thank you very much. Jeff Westfall for the Marshall Brain. The student shall be the teacher, or you can lead a horse to water, but you can't will him to execute a perfect double leg tackle. The dirty little secret of teaching martial arts, or for that matter of teaching anything, is that in one sense you cannot teach anything to anyone. Rather, it is the case that the student learns, and a good teacher does what he or she can to help the process along. If a student is motivated powerfully to learn, he or she will find a way to learn, even if the teacher were, for some reason, to try to prevent it. If the student, on the other hand, is not motivated to learn, the best teachers on the planet will fail to teach him or her. Among the most arrogant statements ever made is one that goes something like, Yeah, I taught that boy everything he knows. Many students figure out more on their own than their instructor teaches them and even some of the least gifted discover a few truths here and there independently from any instruction. Because of this, it is never true, to me, that anyone ever teaches anyone else everything they know. What is my point? The best advice that I can offer to some instructors, for what it's worth, is to encourage them to rein in their egos and learn how best to facilitate the process of helping their students learn. First, Take a cue from the Hippocratic Oath taken by some doctors to, quote, first do no harm, end quote. Don't allow your self-image as a great instructor to blind you to the possibility that not only can it be the case that your instruction is not helping your student, you could even be slowing the learning process of your student. Many students will learn at a pretty good base rate, even if you have very little interaction with them. It's perfectly possible for an instructor to actually hinder rather than help this process in a number of ways. Remember, there is no problem so bad that it cannot be made worse. One of the most common teaching errors is what I call over-teaching. 
I was terribly guilty of this myself as a young instructor. I had been frustrated in my student days by a series of instructors who were less than skilled at communicating the nuances of proper technique. I was determined not to make the same mistake. As a result, when correcting a student's form, I would point out each and every flaw that I saw, no matter how long it took. This put the poor student in the position of waiting patiently for my lecture to end in order to perform the next repetition. This is showing off rather than teaching. Almost as bad is giving a different correction after each repetition. Repetition 1. Turn your hips more. Repetition 2. Now you're dropping your hands. Repetition 3. Bend your knees. Repetition 4. Keep your eyes on the target. And so on. No student, no matter how gifted, can process that much instruction in such a short time. To me, a far better method is what I have dubbed the onion method of teaching. I call it the onion method because I visualize the various mistakes the student is making as layers, with what I judge to be the worst mistake as the outermost one. I confine any corrections or comments to that mistake only, forcing myself to temporarily ignore the other mistakes until we have thoroughly attacked that particular problem for the day. Each lesson, I reassess the student to determine what his worst mistake is for that day. This method allows the student to focus more intently during his or her repetitions. Also, be sure that your other students know enough about your teaching method to not offer helpful corrections that they think you are missing. Some mistakes are so subtle or minor that sheer repetition will smooth them out more efficiently than anything you could say. Some instructors will draw too much attention to one of these tiny errors or, more egregiously, make up something to say to the student in order to be seen as teaching the student. This is a classic example of the teacher needing to check his own ego. Have the discipline to keep your mouth shut when that is what the situation demands. The student's ability to actively participate in their own education can be a powerful tool if the teacher can deflate his or her ego enough to get out of the way. A good teacher will seek to engage this tool by encouraging the student to mindfulness when practicing and will encourage them to be curious enough to ask questions. Many students are shy about asking questions, somehow thinking that it is disrespectful. Be sure your student understands that you want him or her to ask questions. Part of what a good instructor does is to provide an environment that is conducive to learning. On a low budget, this can simply be the tone and culture that you set for the class. On a higher budget, this can extend to training equipment and a training area that is stimulating and relatively safe. Finally, and obviously, the teacher should continue his or her own education. Of course, the instructor must be thoroughly familiar with the subject matter being taught, but that is only the minimum that is required. Do not abandon your own learning process simply because you have been awarded an instructorship. As in all fields of endeavor, innovation and evolution is constant in the martial arts. If your education is not going forward, it is falling behind. Despite the efforts of a few martial arts frauds out there, you can't teach what you don't know. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think at my website, rpmartialarts.com. This is Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain.
Okay, folks, we're back. Man, that was a lot of fun. Um, and before we wrap up the show, let's reach over here and get into this overstuffed mailbag here that we've been neglecting for far too long. What? Damn, it's stuck to my hand. Hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Whew, that was a rough one. Why is that letter so sticky? Oh, wait a second. This one's from Mr. Tarzan Smith. Mm, we love hearing from Tarzan. And sorry up front, Tarzan, this one has been at the bottom of the bag for a while. Uh, glad I found it again. Sorry it stuck to my hand. Let's see what's going on here. Hiya, electricians. Dimmer switch joke. Yuck, yuck. Yep, it has been in the bottom of the bag for a while. <laughs> That's throwing back to several episodes ago. Uh, okay, continuing with my reading here. Guys and lady, depending on the day, I have a question. It's like totally serious and not nearly as bitchy as my normal email. Sorry. Okay. At my school, only the black belts spar without pads. As a lower belt, I wear shin, forearm, chest, and head protectors during sparring. As a generally larger than medically recommended individual, I sweat a lot. I'm going to pause right there. Brother, I'm with you. I'm, you know, not too much larger than medically recommended, but even when I was young and trim, I could make a puddle of sweat around me that would just mystify people as to what had happened. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. Sorry to interrupt your letter, but I'm going to go ahead and tell this little story while I've got the chance. Uh, I used to train under Ty Yim, and uh, I was famous. He had this indoor-outdoor carpeting on the floor of his school, and we had to do 20, 30 minutes of warm-up calisthenics before we got to do all the fun kung fu stuff uh, when we worked out there. And I would leave literally like a human-shaped pool of sweat on the floor that when I got up, you could see that there was a person there. It's like when somebody runs through a wall in a cartoon. That's kind of what I was doing to his floors. So a few years later, uh, I was at a Kung Fu tournament in uh, Florida, no, New Orleans. Uh, sometime co-host Craig Keesling was there, so he can vouch for this. And I saw Tai Yim, and I was like, oh, there's uh, Sifu Yim, you know. And I went over to uh, to say hello to him, you know, and I, I said, Yim Sifu, you, it's, it's Dave Jones, do you remember me? And he looked at me blankly for about five seconds. And then I saw the little light go on, and he said, oh, yeah, you'd have got it sweat a lot. <laughs> yes, sir. That's me. So anyway, on with uh, Tarzan's letter here. <clears throat> now, I'm healthy, so it's not like super gross, clingy funk sweat, but still it's wholesome man sweat with that certain flair for pungency. So my question, how do you now, or have you in the past, defunct your gear? especially the stuff that you can't wash. I wipe my gear down and Febreze it, but still, it lingers. Thanks for your gentle consideration and continued on-air amusement. The not-so-red Tarzan, hi or something to that effect, Marshall Brothers. Okay, Tarzan, <clears throat> silly boy. Listen, uh, it sounds like you've got the right idea. You know, you wash what you can wash, you wipe it down, you even Febreze it, Hell, Craig showered that way for two years while his water was out. Um, but yeah, it's going to linger. Here's what you do. Revel in it. You've earned that. That pungent stench is your ticket to greatness. And you should advertise it. Uh, think of all the pheromones you're sending out to the ladies or whoever you're attracted to in class. That alone. You know, you should probably just tie one of your mitts around your neck when you go out to the nightclubs because it's powerful stuff. It really is. 
Uh, or maybe just wear your shin pads under your dance slacks. I don't know, something like that. Don't worry about it, dude. Um, we all stink when we train, and it's okay. You know, now, it's very different when somebody comes in and you can tell they haven't washed their gi in the last five practice sessions or whatever. That's unacceptable. No one will roll with the troll, okay? you got to wash the sweat out of your clothes. But if your pads, your belts, your whatever, they take on a little bit of that pungent, you know, kung fu funk, that's okay. It's part of it. No problem. So, yeah, just... uh. Just uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. That's really all you can. And uh, the smell that people get off your clothing is no worse than the occasional fart during sit-ups. You know, we all know we do it. It just blows by. No problem. Okay. Next letter. This one comes in from Juan C. Message body. Hiya! Guys, I'm looking to take up my first martial art. You go, Juan. I was looking at enrolling in Kempo here in San Diego. I'm lucky that the dojo is within walking distance of my house. I had my heart set on learning Kyokushin karate because I have a kick. Uh, oh, sorry, I have a boxing background, and I figured I'd like the contact of it better. I guess my question to you is this: Is Kempo a good introductory martial art, or am I going to be in over my head? I'm 30 now, and I haven't boxed since I was 23 or so. And in other words, can an old dog learn new tricks? Thank you in advance if you get my question. Sorry for the long email. It wasn't. Don't be sorry. And hachi no dachi, y'all. Okay, Juan. Um, f- first off, like I said, great. First martial art, get in there. And this way, Kempo, sure. Kempo is a great introductory. Any martial art is a great introductory martial art. The key thing is the teacher. Find a teacher you can like, and you're off and running. Another key component also is proximity and your ability to stick to it. So if you can walk there from your house, you really couldn't ask for a better place to start. Um, You know, if a couple of years down the road or five years down the road, you decide, oh, I'm more interested in grappling than striking, or I want something that, you know, has more athletic uh, flips and kicks and tumbles or whatever path you decide to take once you gain some experience with it, you'll have a decent foundation as long as it's a decent school. And most schools are pretty decent at what they do. You know, again, you'll have to go in. If you get a bad vibe off the place or whatever, then no amount of proximity or any other details will, you know, the sauna or whatever are going to make any difference. But if it's a good group of people and they seem to be getting along, having fun and training hard, hell, go for it. Um, And, you know, you're 30 now and you're asking me if an old dog can learn new tricks? (laughs) Come on, brother. I'm 46 years old. I learn a new trick every time I turn around. Uh, yeah. No, you're still in perfectly good shape. Uh, you're not too old to try anything or too young to try anything. Uh, so you're right there in the sweet spot. You've got at least another decade of being able to high kick and roll around on the floor and do whatever else you want with that body. So, yeah, get out there and do it now. Okay, let's move along. Okay, this letter's from Kiro Landsberger, longtime writer into the show. Thanks again, Kiro. Uh, sorry to be late in chiming in on this, but you guys missed a couple of obvious items in your Monster Mash. I think it was really cool how you talked about the best arts and tactics for different monsters. However, there is a counterpoint that you guys never took note of. 
Jason, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Leatherface, all of them share a similar tactic. Slow, plodding forward, very unsophisticated and very simple, yet unstoppable attacks. Essentially, they're Shingy guys. Let's <laughs> see where you're going with this. Now, this begs the question as to whether there is a Shingy class somewhere that is filled with supernatural fiends, or if people who get really good at Shingy spontaneously resurrect into undead badasses. <laughs> good question. Uh, it might be good to talk to Big Al about this one, but I can tell you from attending his classes that uh, your former suggestion is probably closer to the mark. Um, there are some fiendish folks out there, let me tell you. And for some reason, they gravitate to Shingy classes. Why? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to editorialize on that. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's move on. Uh, I hear Big Al calling me. Let's see, the last one I'm going to uh, belabor you with tonight, and this one's a little fresher. Yeah, not quite as crinkly. Uh, this one comes from Richard. Sorry if I already sent you this. I had email account problems. Whew, don't we all? Hey, guys, I just wanted to drop you a quick note of appreciation. Like most people, I have a job, family, other competing hobbies, etc., and I know how valuable time is. Your efforts putting together the excellent interviews and being a clearinghouse for all the different points of view are greatly appreciated by me and all the listeners. Each week when I go to iTunes for my podcasts, I cross my fingers and hope that there is a new episode of hi It's awesome the amount of experience and talent you line up for the interviews. I won't take any more of your time, but once again, thank you. hi bitches! Okay, um, Richard... And to all the other people who have sent us a similar email, we get one of these occasionally. Uh, thank you so much. You know, this stuff is a ton of hard work. I won't deny it. But knowing that people appreciate what we do is, uh, is what keeps me and all our contributors doing it. So thank you for thanking us once in a while. <laughs> it lets us know you're out there and that you care. And it really does you know, stoke the fires under our collective asses to get moving over here and track down good guests and bring you better content. So we're going to keep working on that. That brings us to the end of this show, however. If you do want to pat us on the back or reach, uh, yeah, just pat us on the back, that's fine. Uh, then uh, feel free to drop us a line. Also, questions, comments, and like I said at the beginning of the show, news items, anything is welcome there. It's mailbag at highoutpodcast.com. And uh, you should also go to iTunes. You know, that's where you collect your podcast, most of you. Rate and review us, please. Uh, we currently have fewer reviews than we have episodes. We need to catch up on this, people. Uh, go by, like the Facebook page. There's a couple of new people join us there every week. And, you know, listeners, feel free to use that page, too. It's there for conversation. You see something neat, you know, and some people are doing this. Put it up there. Interact with each other. It's always encouraged. So, yeah, just go to Facebook and put hi with two A's in the search bar and boom, hi in your face. And uh, thanks again to our guest, Ian Abernathy, splendid fellow and great fun to speak with. Uh, I'm sure you all enjoyed that one. Anyway, that's it. We'll be back with another great episode in two weeks. And until then... We will see ya!
only thing is the weather here is terrible as well. It's been great, stormy, windy and wet all day long. So I thought, I bet we're, as soon as you get back online, I'll be off. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Great Britain. You expect that there, but... Uh... Oh, <laughs> well, even by our standards, today has been pretty grim, you know, so it's... Uh... Yeah, it's not too far. I've been totally dark outside, and we're what four o'clock in the afternoon, so yeah. not good. Well, I hope you're not swept away in a twister to Kansas somewhere. See, <laughs> <laughs> so I always say that that's a good thing about our weather. You know, it's never good, but it never tries to kill us. <laughs> we don't get you know tornadoes and hurricanes. And <laughs> yeah, well, as they say, that which does not kill you makes you miserable. <laughs>